them uh, in the name of Jesus, kind of overcome that and grow up. And you were learning about kids and the toys that they have in other parts of the world. Can you tell me what you, what you read there? Um, this one kid, he had a water bottle as a toy, and he just filled it up at a faucet that he, he used his uh, neighbors because he didn't even have one, and then he used it as a squirt gun. Used it as a squirt gun. Now, that really touched your heart, especially in thinking, what's your coolest toy you have? Um, probably a four-wheeler. Your four-wheeler. Like that. that's, that's, there's a big difference between a four-wheeler and a plastic bottle you fill with water, right? Yeah. So that really meant a lot to you and your family, right? So what mm-hmm. did you decide to do? We were going to um, raise money to help him build a, uh, like build a house for him in his country. So you're going to raise money to help him build a house. So Gabe came to, this is, now keep in mind, we're about to talk about, this is something that was driven by children. Now, this is a heart of our children's ministry is, hey, kids are part of the church too. It's not, let's let them grow up and be, they, they jump in. So you came to Miss Rachel with the idea for a what? For a yard sale to raise money. For a yard sale. You came to Miss Rachel, our children's director. He said, I want to do a yard sale. Miss Rachel said, hey, let's do it. So um, we're taking it big, right? August mm-hmm. 29th. Yeah. Uh, you want to encourage people to what? What do you want people to do? Um, to bring their stuff so that we can raise money. Raise yeah. money. Now, here's what we're going to do. There's more information going to be coming. It's kind of a teaser to let you know it's coming. August 29th, we're going to have a children's yard sale. So this doesn't mean bring your kind of your housewares. This brings children's clothes, children's toys. We really want to encourage kids to, hey, let's, what's it mean to live with less? You know, some of your parents are like, yes, get that stuff out of here. Uh, so we want to bring it here to the church. We're going to be dropping it off between now and August 27th. And then here in our parking lot on Friday, August 29th, we're going to have a yard sale fully run by our kids, our children's ministry. And money is going to go to what's money going to go to? The kid with the water bottle. Kid with the water bottle, and we found out that we can buy the kid with the water bottle a home for how much? Do you remember? Four hundred dollars. Four hundred dollars. Do you have four hundred dollars? Yeah. You do. (laughs) I found a new friend, Gabe. We're going to hang out. But anyway, um, I'm going to let you head down now. Uh, I think your dad's over here. He's going to take you. You're going to go make this announcement in Children's Church now, right? Get all them all excited. Okay. You can tell them, hey, I was up here and I saw a bunch of people in their underwear. Okay. Okay, there's more information going to be coming on that. I just want to kind of throw it out this morning let you know there's going to be some flyers in the mailbox. The children are bringing them information. But this is something driven and directed by children. And that is one of the hearts of our children's ministry to say, hey, let's get our kids involved in ministry, um, not just waiting until they grow up. So that's really very exciting. Um, while I'm at it, I want to mention a couple other announcements. First one I want to put up on the screen is another kind of another ministry opportunity. This one, that's children. This is a, an adult opportunity. Uh, and you could take even your children along with you if you wanted. Uh, Romanian missions trip, September 12th to the 23rd. Now you say, wow, that's not that far away. And August 3rd deadline, that's even closer. Uh, this trip was kind of put together. Um, Pastor Mirchif, you remember him? He was here a few months ago on our stage. And we said, hey, and we kind of rekindled that uh, connection and, and want to go over there and partner with him as a church that we actually planted or part of planning uh, over 20 years ago. So... We see the information there. If you'd like to get involved, contact the church, and we will put you uh, in connection with the, the information that you need. Next thing I want to mention is about our coming series. This, this Jesus Plus Nothing ends uh, this week, next week, and the following week. And then wrapping up August, we have a new series called Practical Atheists. Go ahead and watch this clip and kind of highlight that new series. I don't think he's involved in our everyday lives or anything. That doesn't mean I don't believe in him.
Just a little teaser there, but again, that's going to be coming around. It's basically saying, hey, most of you, most people you know say they believe in God, but when you look at how they live, you think, do you really believe in God? So we're going to talk about, can that, can you really believe in God and be a Christian and live in some pretty strange ways at times? And uh, so again, that's going to be starting in uh, the middle of August. Next thing I'm going to mention is if you have your reading plan, uh, we're on page 81 today. And if you don't have one, this kind of runs with our, it's a journal that runs with our series, Place to Take Notes. Or you can just get the flyer that has the readings in them. Uh, but our new one, our new plan is going to be out in, the, out in the foyer next week. It's going to be orange. We've had a blue one, a green one. The next one is going to be an orange one. And that's going to carry us all the way through um, the first of next year. So again, I want to draw attention to that. And that will be available. Um, next week. Final two things I want to mention. Following this service, there is a fundraising meal for Kenton Zimmerman. Uh, he is going to be heading to Germany. He's a part of, grew up here kind of Bethany. He's heading to Germany with YWAM, and there's a lunch following. I encourage all of you to come on out, uh, enjoy the meal, and then um, fundraiser to help him get there to Germany. Final thing I want to mention is he's not here in this service, but he's been with us, and he's here in town, Rod Crable. Uh, he's a missionary we support in South Africa. It's Nevin and Barb Crable's son. Uh, he is at kind of at home, not really, um, he's just not really speaking to churches. He's here with his family and helping getting ready to get his daughter to college this fall. So again, um, I want to mention that too. So if you see him around, say hello to him and maybe you can get to know him a little bit. That said, let me pray. And then we're going to jump headlong into our uh, Jesus period uh, series. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, I pray that you'd meet us. Our anticipation is that you meet us, um, that you know us very personally, every single one of us. And God, you want us to know you. You've been seeking us, chasing us. And God, may we hear you now. May we respond accordingly and may we live in response to that this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, If you open your Bibles with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible, maybe a skeptic of the Bible, um, anything along those lines, I want to say welcome. I want to say a big welcome. Here at Bethany, we're very passionate to help people, introduce people to Jesus and help them to grow up in that. And we realize that not all of you have grown up with that. And so help you with that. We always want to teach and preach through your lens, um, not just talk like we expect you to be here. So if you're here, welcome. Help you a little bit. The Old Testament and the New Testament. You say, what are these two books? Uh, It's kind of the Old Covenant and New Covenant. You say, what does that mean? Well, the simplest way to say it is the old is before Jesus. The new is after Jesus. Very simplest way to say it. So if you're new to the Bible, trying to find Colossians, you don't have maybe a smartphone, grab an app there, uh, but you can find it there between the books of Philippians. You'll see 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and Colossians chapter 3. Now, as we continue in this series, this has been a whole series really about practical. uh, We're into the practical part, but the series has been about Jesus, period. It is Jesus, period, end of story, enough is enough. Uh, That's what gets me into relationship with God. Jesus makes me right. Jesus makes me good. Jesus makes me holy. It's not what I do, what I don't do, the rules I keep, the rules I, the religion I'm a part of, the family I came from, the mystical spiritual experiences I have. The book goes through and says, it is Jesus, period. Very, very passionate about that message here at Bethany. Now, as as that story kind of unfolds, as the letter is written to this church at a church of the city called Colossae, so it's where it's called the Colossians, it's written, and then it gets to this very, very practical part. So the early part's about what it really means to believe in Jesus, period. And then it gets to verse 17. If you look at me at verse 17 of chapter 3. It says, whenever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Jesus, period, do it all through him and in him. 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then it gets incredibly practical. If you see verse 18, we talked two weeks ago about wives. Then we talked about husbands, very practical. Jesus, period, living out in the home. And then we, last week we talked about children, verse 20, and parents, verse 21. And now this week, if you look at verse 22, you see this word slaves, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But this week we're going to talk about work, your job. The thing that's exciting is this is as practical as you get because most of you in this room will work a job somewhere at some point in your life if you're not now. A very, very practical outgrowth of Jesus period in the workplace. Now, kind of set the stage for this. I absolutely love what I do for a job. This is my job. I actually uh, derive income from pastoring Bethany Grace Fellowship Church. I love it. I believe I'm called to do it. I believe God's gifted me to be a pastor. And specifically, Adam, I want you to be a pastor. So it's what I do. With that said, I want to state something. And people ask me at times, do you miss Super Value? The warehouse that I worked, uh, the food distribution warehouse up in Denver, up there in 222 in the Turnpike, million square foot, a thousand associates, huge place. And my answer is always, I do a little. I miss it. So you miss it. Now, I don't miss the shift work. I worked overnight, and overnight work is, if any of you do it, my hat goes off to you. It is tough to do, especially with small children. It is just really hard. So I don't miss that. I also don't miss, at the time when I was there, they were the third largest retail food distributor in the U.S., and I didn't miss, they had a corporate uh, headquarters out in Minneapolis. And I didn't miss the corporate bottom line driven culture. Just, it was hard. It's ruthless. And I don't miss that. But I miss the job. I miss the work. I miss the people. As I think about that and people say, well, why? I say, well, because you working your job, me working my job, make a huge impact in the kingdom of God. Now, when I say that, most people immediately go to, yeah, if you share Jesus with those you work with. And I say, no, more than that. It's more than that. See, my fear is, is what we do with the workplace and what we do with your job is sometimes we treat your job as though it's second rate to my job. And I say, that's really not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible teaches all jobs, all that you do, further the kingdom of God. And it's not just because you working out, building a house or selling jewelry or selling cars or, or washing dishes or emptying trash or what it is that you do for a living. It's not just because you have an opportunity to share Jesus with people, but it's because you have an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God and create culture. I'll give you a kind of a, for instance, imagine if every single one of us in this room would take a vow and say, we're all going to quit our jobs, all of us. If you can imagine if we could get all of Lancaster County and Berks County and Chester County and all this area around us to, to agree with us and go in on this, and we get every single person to quit their job. And then if we were really influential and we got all the East Coast to jump in with us and we all quit working tomorrow, what would happen? Play the movie forward. Imagine if the trash man stopped picking your trash up. What do you do with your trash? Now you've opened up the opportunity for a lot of disease to spread. Imagine if the Walmart worker or the giant worker or the shady maple worker stops stocking food on the shelves. Where are you going to get your food? Imagine if the farmer quits raising cattle and corn and wheat. Imagine, imagine if the construction workers stop building and constructing. If you play this movie forward, if we would all quit our jobs, we would have death and destruction at its finest. 
So God says, do all that you do to, to my glory to, to work hard at this because it makes a difference. And it's not just a second-class seat to the people that are working in ministry. Because here's the other reality. Only 98 to 99, or, or said that in reverse, 98 to 99% of you will never have a paid vocational ministry job, ever. So if we stand up and say the only way to really make a difference in the kingdom of God is get involved at the church, then most of your life is a waste. And the scriptures don't teach that. The scriptures don't say every one of you go out and get in ministry. Scriptures never say that. But for some reason in the church world, we almost put guilt on people who are out doing what God has called them to do, building houses. Let's go do it well. So I want to talk about this. We want to unpack this and want to to kind of work this out and flesh it out and really kind of help us. And the heart of this passage this morning is basically live all of your life to the audience of one. Okay, so your job makes a difference. What you do makes a difference in culture, in society, and ultimately, if you do it right and do it well, to the kingdom of God. Now, so let's go do it and do it to the audience of one. And here's David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah, some of you know David Jeremiah. He's a pastor out in California. He's on WDAC, the radio station here in this area. Uh, I think he's on in the evenings, and uh, you catch him. But here's, here's his, what he says. All too rarely do we meet Christians who are equally passionate about all of life. See, I meet Christians all the time who are passionate about what's going on here, who are passionate about what's going on in their missions opportunities in Romania and India and Chile and other parts of the world, who are passionate about their small groups and their involvement with our children's ministry, who are passionate about all that. But then they're like, well, I sell cars. What difference does it make? I want to talk this way. Hey, let's be passionate all that we do in all of our life, and let's do it to the audience of one. Now, with that said, Let's look at the text. You can see this isn't just something that I concocted out of my head and just, just going to say, okay, let's go do this. But here it is. Verse 22 of chapter 3. Slaves. Now, we're going to talk about that in a minute. You're like, whoa. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, before we jump into this, I want to comment on this slave's word. Some of you read that, and, and some of you, if you're really skeptical of the Bible, I've interacted with some of you who are skeptical of the Bible, and I understand that when this word shows up, you're like, see, that's why this Bible is a bunch of garbage, because it's not, it's just, it works with the culture, it doesn't work with the culture. And I've had many people discredit the Bible because it endorses slavery. And I get that tension. And I say, if you're there and you're wrestling with that, I would encourage you to push in and continue to wrestle uh, with this whole message. I can't talk about that at length uh, because it's, we're going to go a different direction in this text. But if that's where you're at, I'd say, hey, come talk to me. And I'd love to get you some resources uh, to kind of help you wrestle with what does that really mean, slaves? But for our context this morning, here's what I want us to think about. This morning, here's what I'd like us to think about for our discussion. If slave owners, in verse 1 of chapter 4, if slave owners are told to manage their workers right and fair, who they do not own as property, 
Imagine how much more employees and bosses and supervisors should manage their workers today who they do not own. If slaves here are told to obey their master, and we're going to even talk about finding significance in their work. If slaves are told it, imagine how much more then we who freely choose our jobs and can come and go as we want should obey and dig in and work hard. So that's what I'm going to set the stage. And again, if you wrestle with that slave thing, um, again, a lot I could say in that, but for sake of where we're headed this morning, I just don't really have the time to do that. I encourage you to talk with me later. But here, as we kind of jump into this, here's where I want to start. I want to start by really valuing work. The text doesn't do this, but I think it's important. And I want to just say, I'm going to do this very briefly and kind of quick. I'm going to mention a resource so you can take it further. And next winter into the spring, we have a whole sermon series just talking about how do you work and work well for the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about that coming up in the winter. But for now, here's what I want to say. Work is a basic human need. Basic human need. Work was created by God. It wasn't a result of sin entering our world. Work is a basic human need. God created you. God created me to work. So I would say it's, you know, we talk about, well, we need food. We need shelter. We need water. I would equally say you need to work. Without work, you're going to struggle to have a meaningful and significant life. I really believe that. Tim Keller, who is a pastor in in uh, New York City is passionate about this subject. I put the book up here because this book, if you're saying, hey, how does my work really make a difference in the kingdom of God? This book is a phenomenal resource that I'd encourage you to check out if you're a reader. But he says this, without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. So if you don't work, you're going to struggle in life. I really believe that. Now, you say, but Adam, it's so hard. I can't imagine God created it. Well, here's the deal. Genesis 3.17, if you read it this week, talks about work, the curse, the sin entered our world, bad stuff happened. God says, because sin entered our world, this is what it's going to be. And he says, you're going to, from here on out, painfully toil. So here's what I'm saying. Work was created for me to do work. I'm only going to have a meaningful life if I'm engaged in what God's created me to do. However, it's going to be hard. And I would say this way, there is an expectation of frustration. If you are frustrated in your job, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It means there's sin in the world. I love what I do, but there are days I go home venting to my wife. Oh my goodness. And I just, I'm, I'm ready to quit. I've had enough of this. I've, and I'm just ready to, you know, it's hard. It's frustrating. So if it's normal to be frustrated and really hate your job at times, but you've been created to do it. Now, I want to counteract this, though, with one more thing, because there's something that we do with work that is very dangerous. Tim goes on to say this. You will not have a meaningful life without work. That's what he just kind of said. But you cannot say that your work is the meaning of your life. You say, what does that mean? Well, here's what I've learned. I've learned from my own life that, unfortunately, we define ourselves and our identity by what we do far too often. Think about the last person you met for the first time. I promise you, there's a high likelihood that you ask them this question. So, John, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? Why do we ask that? I think we ask that. Again, it's not bad to ask that question. I'm not saying don't go ask the question. But we ask that because so often we attach what a person does to who they are. 
what a person does with their identity and meaning and significance in life. And what we begin to do with our jobs and what I have done and my journey has been is we allow it to begin to define us. We allow what I do to distinguish me from you. We allow our jobs to distinguish us from our neighbors. We allow our jobs to basically kind of, I'd say it this way, show the world that we're special. We allow our jobs to even at times prove to ourselves that we're special, that I have something to offer. In other words, we look to our jobs, we look to what we do far too often, not just understanding that God's created me to work, but we look to our jobs to find meaning and purpose in life. And that's kind of a dangerous place to be. And this text picks it up here and says, let's not go there. From early on, you've performed to please your parents. Some of you are still trying to please your parents. From early on, we perform to please our peers and impress our peers, to win over our supervisors and our coaches, and and maybe even to live up to your own standard. Now, if I'm going to live all of my life to the audience of one, if I'm going to do that, I think it's important to just step back and recognize our tendency to do this, to find identity and meaning in what we do. And to step back and renounce, honestly, this is something that the idols of money and power, which we love and we run after and we think we need. Now, the thing I believe, though, the thing I believe with all my heart is where you work and the things that you do, you want to succeed. You're going to head there tomorrow or maybe tonight or tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon to the place where you work. And you're not walking into that place of employment saying, I hope my boss looks at me and thinks I'm the biggest loser in the world. You want to succeed. Now, what I've discovered in life and what we've learned in Colossians is success comes by understanding who I am in Jesus. It comes by living out my meaning in life through Jesus, period. I mean, look at the text. Look at verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whatever you do. Not just work in the church, but whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of who? Jesus. Jesus, period. Giving thanks to God the Father through him, through Jesus. Look down with me at verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and, here it is again, reverence for the Lord. Some of your tre- texts, if you have a different translation than the NIV, says out of fear of the Lord. You're worshiping God. In other words, your meaning is not found in your job and in your employment, what you do or what you don't do. The meaning of your life is found in your worship of God. Your total identity is found in Jesus. Verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who? The Lord, Jesus. Not for men. Your meaning and your identity and your significance in life is not attached to what you do, but it's attached to Jesus and who you do it for. Verse 24, here it is again. This is all through this section. I don't want you to miss this. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Your identity wrapped up in Jesus. You're living for him. Your meaning and significance in life is found in him. And then verse 1 of chapter 4. Talking to the masters, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Your meaning is found in the audience of one. At this point, I was studying and wrestling and kind of putting this message together. And I'm thinking, how can I really illustrate this? How can I really help people see what I believe they know to be true? 
What stirs our heart is when we understand we are living for Jesus, period. How do I really? And I began thinking of a conference I was at this past October, Catalyst Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. Andy Stanley, a pastor who pastors me and and, and I look to from afar. And uh, he spoke and he was talking about this subject, how most of us have an appetite to be known, have an appetite to be someone. So the whole point of the message was talking to leaders in the room and saying, listen, what do you do with that appetite? You have this appetite to be known, to make a difference, to be significant. What do you do with it? And so he led in the message and he talked about this audience of one picture and this reality. And he then shared this incredible story. And I was trying to recreate the story and retell the story. And I'm putting it in notes and rewriting it. And I felt like, you know what? I have the DVD. I'll just play it. So what I do now is just play nine minutes of his message. It picks up. Basically, he's talking about, here's where's the context. He's talking about you receive what you have is a gift from God. You've been given something. It's not something you create, something you fabricated, but you've been given you something, and then he expects you to do something with it. So with that said, um, pick this clip up here. Your appetite, your appetite for known will never be satisfied by a number, only a name, a who, not a how or a how many. Your appetite, and we've all got one, your appetite, your appetite for known will never be satisfied by a number. There is no number of friends Followers, fans, campuses, high school, middle school, children, books sold, songs sold, things published. There is no number that can satisfy that. John got it right. It's a name. It's a who. It's not a how many. Some of you, you may know, um, just before uh, the the, the past, the the inauguration earlier uh, this year... Um, I was invited to preach to the President of the United States. Now, this was such a, an odd thing, and, and an incredible opportunity, but let me kind of paint the picture. Especially if you're a communicator, you can totally get this. I wasn't, I wasn't invited to speak to a group where the President would be in attendance. I was invited to preach to the President while other people watched. So they said, you got 12 minutes, you can preach on anything you want to, and you're going to preach to the president, and there'll be about 500 people there watching you preach to the president. Now, that's a bit intimidating, isn't it? And so I thought, wow, you know? And the way this works is every, um, on the morning of an inauguration, this has been going on for many, many, many years, there's an Episcopal worship service at St. John's Episcopal Church right across the street from the White House. And so it's the president's service. So when the president and his family arrives, the service begins. Runs for about an hour and five minutes. Then they put him, you know, in those cool SUVs, whisk him away. He goes to the Capitol and is sworn in as president of the United States. So this is like a worship service right before the inauguration. And there's music and readings and all kinds of stuff. And there's always a sermon. And so I was invited to preach to the president for 12 minutes. And yes, I was a nervous wreck. And we got there early and got a hotel room where I could walk there. So we'd have to go through all the, the stuff, you know. And Sandra was with me. And we got there. And I'm sitting up on the platform. There's the president and Michelle and his family and a bunch of famous people and people I didn't know. And people you've seen on television going, I should know who that is. And I don't know who that is, you know, the whole thing. And then it's my turn. And so I walk up to the lectern with my iPad, you know, and set it up there. And I mean, 
He's sitting right there where you guys are, just not quite so low. So I'm looking down on the president of the United States and he's looking at me like, okay. I'm thinking, what's he thinking about? He's not thinking about this. He's about, you know, he just fought for a second term, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, what are you thinking about? How could you pay attention to this? Right? So there I am with my 12 minutes and I preached my little 12 minute message, you know, and did my best and tried to be funny. And I, you know, I didn't have like 12 minutes of eye contact. That'd be a little bit much. So I'd kind of, you know, look around and go back to him, you know, and then it was over and I sat down and there was another song and then they whisked him away and off they went with the family and all the famous people. So I'm standing around Some people came up. They said, Pastor Stanley, that was so good. That was so good. I appreciated that. Joshua Dubois, you know, two thumbs up as he walked out. I'm like, that's good. Joshua liked it. You know, and then here came Sandra. That was the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. Oh my gosh, it was just great. And I appreciated that. You know, in fact, one lady came up. She said, Andy, I've been at Pastor Stanley. I've been attending this church for years. That's the best sermon I've ever heard preached in this, this church before. I'm like, that, that meant a lot. But who did I want to hear from? (laughs) Right? I mean, that's all good. But I'm telling you, I mean, you, you, you can identify with this. There is no amount of people that told me it was a great message or a good message that they appreciated that could compensate for my desire to know what the one person that I did it for thought about it. And later I thought, oh God, if only my entire ministry, if only every message, every camp, every meeting, every book, every presentation, every catalyst conference, if only if at at all times when all was said and done, everybody said it was good and, you know, it was pretty good or, you know, at the end of the day, if it was all about God, I just, I mean, that's all good. But a, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. So I want to know what you think. Would that not just be life? Would that just not completely ensure that you survived? No. So a couple of weeks went by and Sandra called. She said, Hey, there, we just got a flat envelope, you know, kind of letter size from the white house. Now the white house is really good about pictures. Like if there's a picture, they'll send you a picture, you know, but we didn't have pictures taken. It was, you know, I didn't even shake hands with the president. You know, he came in and left. So I thought, I don't know what it was. So I get there and I open it up and it is a hand written thank you note from the president of the United States. And I just happened to bring a plasma sized copy for you to see. <clears throat> Oh, here it is. (laughs) Pastor Stan, let me just read it to you real quick. This will just take a second. (laughs) I know all the Republicans, you're freaking out. The Democrats want to high five me, but just hang in there, okay? (laughs) This is Catalyst Leadership Conference, all right? Dear Pastor Stanley, I want to thank you for your wonderful sermon the morning of my inauguration. It was a timely reminder of the standard of leadership seen by our set by our Lord and Savior. And while we we will inevitably fall short, such selfless leadership is what we all aspire to. 
All the best to your family and congregation, Barack Obama. Now, wait, 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 wait. Come on. Do you know, can you even imagine how much that meant to this white, (laughs) upper middle class, overly taxed Republican boy from North Carolina? A lot, right? Do you know how many times I've read that? Do you know I kind of walk around like, look, honey, the president of the United States paused, paused in the middle of running the free world to write me a thank you note. Now, I'm almost done. What if, what if Jesus was telling the truth and all those parables about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven? What if he was telling us the truth about the man who went on a journey and he left his servants with different levels of ability and talents and money to invest on his behalf? It was his. And after a long time came back and they couldn't wait. To show him what they had done with his money on his behalf. What if, that, what if that's true of every one of us? What if there is a moment where we open the envelope at the end. And our heavenly father has said, well done. Well done. You, you didn't let known screw you up. I allowed you to be known to make me known. And you never forgot where it was from or who it was for. What if that's true? Isn't that powerful? No, probably in this area, majority of you in this room are Republican. But wouldn't it mean something to you to receive a note like that from the president of the United States? When I sat there and I watched that in that room, there was roughly 15,000 people in that stadium. A little hard to get down on my knees at that point, but in my heart of hearts, it was beating faster. And it said, God, please forgive me. Forgive me for living for anyone else's attention other than yours. Forgive me for finding my meaning and identity in who I am out there. Help me to come back to here and be known by you. And God, when I go to work, when I get home from this conference and I head back to work, not just because I'm a pastor, but because it's what you called me to do, God, I want to do it to hear well done because I know you've given me something and you want to know what I've done with it. Live to the audience of one. It's the heart of this whole section. If you're going to work well, that's what you do. Now, as much as I'd love to pray and go home right now, I want to just, just pause because the text has some very practical points. And so you're all, you're like, yes, let's do this. But I want to give some practical stuff that we can do with it now. Very practical stuff that comes right from the text. The how do we do this? Live with all of your life to the audience of one, especially as it pertains to your vocation. The first thing I would say is this. This kind of comes out in the text and I'll show you where in a minute. But don't allow the prospect of money or acclaim to be your controlling consideration in what you do for a living. 
You say, where is that at, Adam? I don't see that. Well, look with me. Look with me at verse 24. Verse 23 kind of said, do everything you do for God as though working for him. Since there's this, because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The language there, inheritance and reward in the original language are financial terms. And I think it's beautiful that Paul writes using financial terms because he's talking about work. Work is where we get our money and where we provide for our families and where we get the things that we need. And what I have learned is, listen, listen, you are rich in Jesus. We get so wrapped up in the riches of here in this earth. And what I have seen, I've interacted, I've been down this road. I've interacted with more people that are miserable today because all they thought about is what can I make? As a student pastor, when I'd work with young people getting out of high school and they said, we got to go off to college. I'd say, why? Well, because if I'm going to be anything or make any money, I've got to go to college. I said, was it God call you to pursue a career that you need a college education for? Well, I don't know. It's what you got to do because I got to make money. Or I'd hear other people say, well, I'm going to go do this. Why are you going to do that? Well, because the starting, you know what the base salary is for a person who starts out in that field? It's $60,000 and it just goes from there. I'm like, but is that what you're gifted to do? When I was at Super Value, I had a friend that, that wasn't even a Christian that had a job advancement opportunity that would have more than doubled his salary. He was already making decent money but more than doubled his salary, which would have taken care of a lot of financial pressure that he was under. And it would have placed him in a position of acclaim and to kind of be known. And I was talking to him in the break room and he says, I turned it down. I said, the non, this person doesn't believe in Jesus. He's very open with me about that. I said, well, why did you turn it down? He says, it's not what I'm gifted to do. And I would be miserable if I were in that seat. I said, yes. Can I looked at him and said, can I tell you what courage that takes? And how much I value and appreciate you as a person for doing that. And how this world is a better place because of that decision. See, in our culture today, it's like climb the ladder, climb the ladder, climb the ladder. I'm only going to be someone when I get to the top of the ladder. And I say that thinking gets us in a lot of trouble. You may not be gifted to be. God may not have, what you've received from God may not be the top of the ladder rung. And that's awesome. That's fine. Then live with the gifts. Remember when he, that, some of you remember the parable that Andy Stanley referenced. He gave out multiples to some. They only got a little bit. It doesn't make them less of a person. If they find their life in Jesus and use the little bit, quote unquote, that he's given them, they're going to hear from the audience of one, well done. But if that guy that's got a little bit or that girl that's got a little bit stands before God one day and God looks down and says, what were you doing in that, in that seat? Why did you climb to the top of the ladder? Well, you see, I had an opportunity. I could make more money. You're not going to hear, well done. Like you read that text, some scary things are said to the individual who didn't invest well. So again, don't chase after money. Young people, especially in this room, some of us are already long down this road and we've already set our path of careers. Young people, I want to specifically talk to you that are scattered around this room. Do not chase money. Do not chase being known and fame and acclaim. Ask the person that you're living for Jesus Christ and say, what have you gifted me to do? What have you called me to do? And then go do it and let him take care of the bills. 
Now, the next thing, very practical thing I think you see here in this text is work hard all the time, not just when the boss is watching. I cannot stress this enough. You say, where is that in the text? I think it's this one. Some of you kind of jumped out right away. Verse 22, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. You know, when I worked at Super Value, some of you relate to this, this story. I, this happens, I think, at all workplaces. It was a corporate world. The, 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 the corporate um, headquarters was out in Minneapolis. And at times, corporate would come in. Now, what did we, when we knew on the calendar, corporate was coming on Friday, what did we do on Thursday? This culture that was all about productivity in the bottom line, we shut everything down. And we ran around and we scrubbed that warehouse from top to bottom and we put everything in its place and we got everything all right. I used to sit back and I used to chuckle and think, what are we doing? We act like the president himself is walking through this warehouse. Why don't we just work like this every day? Or when we knew the government agencies were coming because, you know, we handled food. So we had to pass certain criteria so that we know the food was safe. When the government agencies were coming, I'm not going to tell you all the things we cleaned up that we probably would have lost our, we would have been shut down for. We got all that stuff cleaned up, got everything put away and got everything back in its place. So when they came through, we'd pass. I'd say, just work hard all the time. Because, you know, someone far more important than my boss or that CEO living out in Minneapolis Or that government worker, someone far more important, is watching me all the time. Another thing I would say, too, I'd just maybe give you some encouragement. Sometimes you're in a job where you you get evaluated. Maybe you're a teacher in a classroom and the superintendent comes to watch you. Or maybe you're, you know, I remember when I was a young pastor and I first started to speak and I had had a mentor and a a person who trained me come and sit in the audience. And I was so nervous and I thought, you know what? Or when I worked at Cloister Springwater back when it was Cloister, then it became Crystal. But I worked back at Cloister and I was out in the production line and I'd see the warehouse manager come out. And all of a sudden, man, I'm so nervous and making sure the bottles are all just right as they're coming down the line. And... I'd say, you know what? I want to change the perspective on that. If you work hard all the time, not just to be seen, when that supervisor shows up, you should be going, yes. They finally get to see what I can do. They finally get to see what I do every day all the time. I think some of the nerves come because it's like suddenly I feel like I've got to do something I don't do. But if you just say, I'm going to work hard all the time, no matter who shows up, I'll just continue to do what I do. So again, work hard, not just to be seen, but you already are seen all the time. Next one I'd say is this. It comes out of the same verse where this one comes from. If you see there at the end of verse uh, 22. So not just to be seen, but work with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. This sincerity of heart. I thought, well, this is interesting. What does that really mean? You ever do that? You know, so some of you have some kind of some tools to get it around in the Greek language. So I go, let's go look up what this means. Well, I looked it up in the Greek and guess what it means? Sincerity of heart. <laughs> It's like, well, that didn't really help me. So I start digging around and start moving through this one and, and reading some commentary. And here's what I learned. It really means kind of singleness of heart. It co- kind of connotes this focused energy, this focused integrity, ethical movement with all of your heart, wholehearted. Again, imagine, you know, as I lay some of these out, I think some of you have opportunity to advance and are gifted to advance. I think if some of these, you just say, this is a good way to advance in your company. When you talk to employers, man, they love associates who are working with sincerity of heart, with passion, with energy to help the company be successful, with ethical, high ethical standards and, and focused energy. They're like, yes, let's take more of you. Do you have any friends? Bring them on in so they can get a job. So again, work with all your heart. The fourth one that kind of comes out of this text is 
Remember that you're not above being disciplined. You say, what? What is that? Look at verse 25. This is a really odd verse. And this took a while for me to kind of get my head around. So you're reading this whole thing about slaves. And all of a sudden, verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. Now, in the context of slavery in the first century, that would be brutal. You know, you violate rules, you pay dearly. We know in our mind what that would be. But here's what I think is going on in this text. In the parallel passages over in Ephesians 6, which you're going to read this week, it talks about when you have a Christian boss, don't expect your Christian boss to treat you special just because you're a brother in Christ. I had a very close, someone very close to me who ran a 60 plus million dollar company, hired a couple hundred people. And he said this to me. He said, Adam, I'm going to share a little secret with you. I hate hiring, hiring Christians. I must said pastors. He probably didn't like that either. I hate hiring Christians. And I was first time I heard this, I said, why do you say that? He said, matter of fact, if I know they're a Christian, they move to the bottom of the list, honestly, in my own mind. And if they go to church with me, he went to a really large church. If they go to church with me, I'm even less likely to hire them. Because what I've learned over my X amount of years of working is for some reason, other Christians walk into me as a Christian boss and expect special treatment just because I'm a Christian. And I look at them and say, well, do your job. Do your job. And you'll get special treatment. There is no favoritism. I think the other thing that this picks up on is in this Jesus period mindset. When you say Jesus period, sometimes we think as Christians, well, we're above the rules. And when I violate rules, yes, I'm justified in Jesus. Yes, Jesus period makes me right. Yes, Jesus period makes me holy. Yes, Jesus period brings me at peace with God. But when I make mistakes, guess what? There are consequences to those mistakes. And just because I'm right in Jesus doesn't mean I don't have consequences that are going to play out and things might not be real pleasant for me. So he says, remember, work hard. Don't get upset when you do something wrong. In other words, don't walk around and mope like, oh, woe is me. Now I'm being, no. Own it, move on, and uh, go from there. Next one, I'm going to talk to the bosses a minute. Those of you in the room that hire people, work with people, manage people, lead people. The first one I'd say to this that comes out of this text is don't use guilt or coercion to motivate people. You say, Adam, where do you see that? Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, masters or bosses, employees or employers, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. If you look over at Ephesians 6, which you're going to read this week if you're in the reading plan, Ephesians 6 actually says, do not threaten them. You know, one of the things that's challenged me, someone came along to me and said, Adam, I'm going to take a stab in the dark that if you would remove coercion and guilt from a person's leadership tool bag, there'd be a lot of people that wouldn't know what to do as a leader, as a husband, as a father. I was challenged by that. I stepped back and thought, well, how much of my leadership in my home and here at the church, because there are people that report to me here at the church, I would remove coercion and guilt and threats. How much leadership is left? So again, I think that's the first thing. Don't, and then the second one, the second one I think you pull from this, um, this verse one here is this. Invest in people, not just productivity. See again, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and what is fair. And what is right and what is fair isn't always productive. I'll be very honest. And in our world today that it's bottom line driven culture, we want to be productive, and that's awesome. I don't, I'm not, nothing wrong with productivity. But what I've learned 
What I've learned, now I can't go about being right and fair, so I get productivity, but I've learned that as you treat people right and fair in the workplace, guess what they generally do? Become productive. That doesn't mean I go out and have this ulterior motive to being a nice guy. But again, treat people right and fair because remember, you also have a master and the expectation is he treats you right and fair. Now, as I land this plane, I'm going to bring it in for landing. Again, the challenge is to treat every moment like it's a chance to do something. Live, don't just exist. Don't waste time just taking air in from the rest of us. You want to really live life. And how you live reflects how you feel about the audience of one that's watching you. You know, when Tanya and I first got married and we lived in upstate New York and then we moved to Lidditz, Pennsylvania and we had this little apartment behind Lidditz Springs Park and in the spring and the summer, some of you know the area, the winds would blow and we'd have that beautiful chocolate aroma come through the, up, the, two, the two bedroom apartment that we rented back there. And, and the thing is, we knew the owner of that apartment. It's a family friend. So because we knew the owner, we didn't own the apartment because we knew the owner, guess what we were more apt to do? Treat the apartment well. We wanted to return that apartment back to him better than when we received it. Again, that speaks to my, when, when a person lives that way, it reflects what they think about the person. Now, here's, I want to really land the plane. And you're going to read this and think, I just want to go ahead and read that. Say it to the person beside you. Let's go ahead and say that to him. I don't hear you. Go ahead, say it to him. Just turn to him and say, say that. Now, you say, Adam, what on earth? That's a strange way to end this message. Treat every moment like it's a chance to do something. Go and, go and live to the audience of one and this whole thing will be great. And then you end with that? Here's why I end with this. This message is so personal to me. When I came back from Charlotte, North Carolina, I realized that I had put my identity in my career. I went down to Charlotte, North Carolina. I learned, didn't know this when I went there, but I learned that I went there chasing after published authors and big name guys that I was going to be living and serving with, that I was going to get to travel the United States with, that I was like, here's my big shot to be someone. And I came back and that whole world fell apart on me. And I began to realize I put my identity in who I was and what I did. It's a common thing. I think most of us do it. But he began to sit with a counselor and, and he began to probe in and he began to say, Adam, you need to find who you are and understand who you are is your identity in Jesus, period. It's a message he was working with me. And he began to discover that I had this tendency that I find in a lot of us, that's why I end this way, of perfection. And I find sometimes we preach this message, go give it your all. And we think, well, I've got to do it perfect. I've got to work hard. I've got to, and here's my thing. Whether you're in the front of the line or the back of the line, you're in line. And sometimes we think I've got to be a super Christian. And I've got to be, I say, no, just go live life. And what he discovered in me, it's because of my looking other places to find my identity in Jesus, this, this drive for perfection set in, and I was afraid to fail. And he said to me, Adam, that's when he quoted this to me. Adam, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. And I said, what? And then he quoted to me Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. I said, no, wait a minute. Colossians 3.23 says, work at it with all your might as though you're working to the Lord. And you're telling me this is the same thought? He said, absolutely. Because I think what you're reading, work at it with all your might. You're reading perfection. Do it perfect. Work hard. And Adam, it's killing you. And he said, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Step out and risk. Step out and live life. 
I walked out of that counseling room and this, this, I, it took me weeks to unpack that. I was like, what in the world? But I began to settle in and say, you know what? Is it worth loving my kids? Do at it with all your heart, all your might. Well, sometimes that means I'm really tired and I don't feel like reading them a story at night. And I don't feel like, but you know what? Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. So I'll sit down. Okay, kids, let's read the story. And I'll sit there. Now, I'm not advocating just, I got to connect with my heart, but I sit down and read the story. Is loving my wife worth doing? Yeah, do it. And as I'm doing it, say, God, I'm doing this because I'm living for you. What you do in your career, is it worth doing? Yes. Do it as though you're living to the audience of one. We close. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. And when I'm done praying, we're just going. To, I'm going to give you time to reflect. I'm going to time that up with our. Uh, I'm going to time that up with our. Um, with our offering. And here's why we're going to do this: as you think about this message, you live all your life to the audience of one. I just want you to stop and reflect. And one of the things I've learned when it comes to jobs, here's what we're going to do this this morning. I always say this. A lot of times when I do the offering, we say, listen, the offering is one of the most intimate times of worship because what it's a time to do is to come and say, God, I'm giving you all of me. And all of me means I'm, I'm realizing what you've given me. I'm just giving back to what you've already given me. And where do we get our money? From our jobs, where we work. So when I just take some time, as I close in prayer, the piano is going to play. Then as the ushers come, it's going to get you reflect and ask, what am I living for? Am I living to the audience of one? Maybe take some time. Again, Pastor Chris mentioned the tear-off. This is also the time when you want to drop that in the plate. But again, maybe you have some prayer requests to write on there. Maybe this morning God's done something in your heart and you want to respond to that. Let us know. We'd love to celebrate with you. Um, but again, it's going to give you some time to worship and think about, am I living life to the audience of one? God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, there's a person in this room that doesn't want to go to work tonight or tomorrow, tomorrow night, this week and succeed to work and hear their boss say, well done. To be recognized, to be honored. God, we appreciate that as humans. And it's okay to be appreciated and honored. But God, I pray for all of us is that we go to those workplaces. We get out of bed tomorrow. Step into work tonight. God, we would walk there not looking to find our identity, not looking to find our meaning in life, but God, knowing that I know who I am. I'm a Christian, which means I believe in Jesus, which means it's only Jesus that makes me right with God. It's only Jesus that empowers me to live life. It's only Jesus, period. And God, so now we want to go and live and work for you out of response to what you've done for us. Not for my boss at work, God, here in this context, I have an elder board that, that's my boss. God, I don't work for them. I work for you. God, I pray that on all of our hearts, that would be why we go to work and we would understand that and what that means. God, I pray for the person right now who's wrestling and saying, well, how does my job really make a difference? God, I don't know. Maybe they're in a place where you don't want them. Or maybe they're in a place where you just want them to wrestle. You want him to wrestle and engage with you and begin to walk with the depths of what it really means to surrender to you and to lay that career down and to chase after what you've called them to. God, help us not to chase money and power and fame. Help us to chase after you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. 
Thank you for Jesus. He's given us the ability to connect with you, to relate to you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.